Welcome to the Noise Boxing Podcast. With me, Andy White, and with me today, actually in the flesh, we have Yo, 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 I'm here, let's do it. And I'm in the mood. Via Skype, and hopefully recording, we have Terry Chapandama. This is a nervous hour for me. Yeah. <laughs> we know it's a treacherous road. You, you love spending time on Skype in the gamble that it might not be recorded, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, you know, it's like a glory hole lottery sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> you just don't know what's going to happen. It's on the other side. Yeah, let's. Uh, I'm a bit hungover today, so I might. Not it's be been Andy's birthday, so wish him happy birthday, everyone. Yes. He's fucking. He's stringing it out for the whole of January. Yeah, we. The remainder. I, I've been out. I was out Friday, <laughs> Saturday. Um, I went out today. Uh, today being Sunday, and then I'm out tomorrow. And Wednesday, <laughs> it's like a birthday week, like yeah, regal. Um, right, so yeah, apologies for digression and any future slightness on my behalf, um, but hopefully these two will get me through it. Frampton Santa Cruz happened at the weekend. Um, the shock that it was. Tell us what happened. What went wrong? He looked off beat to me. No, he didn't. Um, he didn't have the same zap about him. He was struggling. Santa Cruz was a different fighter than he was first time round. I guess you could probably attribute that to having his dad with him through camp uh, and in the corner. His dad's been um, recovering from cancer. Uh, he was during the first fight, but he was with him all the way through for this fight. Um, so perhaps that, that kind of changed Santa Cruz as a fighter. Carl couldn't get behind the jab first two rounds he looked in real trouble he was just eating jabs and just eating counter punches he tried to come in um, I thought he started to control better um, through the middle of the fight started to do very well I thought in the kind of um, in rounds kind of 8 through to 10 and then 11 and 12 it just fell apart again when it seemed as if he, he knew he needed to go for the knockout um, he was just he was never the last one throwing the punches for the majority of the fight and that was the biggest problem really that the times that he did manage to close that distance behind the, the the quick Santa Cruz jab he still wasn't getting the better of the exchanges and I just sat watching it and I, I tweeted at the time that it was very difficult to find a reason to give Frampton a lot of the rounds and like as much as you want as much as you kind of you try not to be biased when you're scoring it I had it scored the same way the judges did um, points wise I can't say about rounds um he just he didn't have that that zap about him. There's something not quite there. Um, I don't think he particularly listened to Shane McGuigan well between rounds. I think Shane was offering him some some good advice that he just wasn't taking. He was going out and repeating every round, kind of what he'd done the last round. Sometimes he was coming off okay, but the majority of times he wasn't. Terry, um, let's go back to the first fight. So the first fight, you saw. 
Santa Cruz being Santa Cruz. Um, I know they say the father was a big factor in this. I don't think necessarily he was because in the first fight, Santa Cruz fought like he had against guys like Abner Mares, you know, throw lots and lots of punches, come forward, entertain the crowd, make the fight exciting. That's Leo Santa Cruz. Frampton is perfectly designed for guys who want to do that. <clears throat> so, you finish that fight, you lose. Frampton wins, Frampton becomes fighter of the year. The rematch happens, and you're in the Frampton camp saying to yourself, we need that Santa Cruz again. Because the truth is, you know, Santa Cruz has such a height and reach advantage, which he gave up in the first fight by electing to A, come forward, and B, bring his head level lower so he could engage with Carl Frampton. Second fight, Santa Cruz said, I'm going to be slightly less adventurous. I'm going to stay on the back foot. I'm going to just slide backwards and just use the jab for control. Um, the key punch in the fight ultimately was the jab. Um, Frampton didn't have an answer for that in the first two rounds. And then in the middle part of the fight, Santa Cruz shifted towards going to the body a lot more. So there were a lot of vicious left hooks digging into the body. So anytime Carl thought he had figured out Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz would just sort of change his tactics slightly. Just enough that Carl would have to go back to the drawing board. Um, I actually would have liked to have seen Frampton doubling up with his hands. So, you know, doubling up on the left hand, doubling up on the right hand. I think that would have given Santa Cruz something he wasn't expecting. I think, you know, there's a lot of things. I think Carl boxed really, really well. And if he had been boxing someone the same height who employed those tactics, Frampton would have won the fight easily. Santa Cruz has a reach advantage over Carl Frampton, which beggars belief. And he boxed to that plan. No one expected him to do it. And to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Santa Cruz will look back and go, I'm surprised I was able to do that because we've never seen him do that before. So kudos to him for changing. If you remember, most of the discussion among the so-called experts was around what, what can Santa Cruz do more of, you know? But the truth was he did less of everything. He threw less punches. Um, he engaged less. But what he did is in the moments that he was required to, he made sure that he was tall and he also, he also made sure that he had the last word on things which made it hard for Frampton. So Frampton was always chasing the fight because he could never get comfortable. But despite that, I think, you know, we have to give Carl his rating because not many not many people would take a fight like that. Not many people would fight for the whole 12 rounds the way Frampton did. Um, you know, kudos to Carl. I know the question might come up later on about do, do you think Frampton had the, the right tactics? You'd only change small things around the fringes, you know, maybe doubling up on that same hand, Maybe maybe if he had just gone with a jab to the body to try and assert some control, you know, in the early exchanges. So a jab to the body, a straight right to the body, something that made Santa Cruz bring his head down a bit. And I think Carl might have had more joy. But there's enough intrigue to justify a third fight. So it was a good fight all round. Really enjoyed it. So if we do end up having a third fight, which um, I'm assuming people would like to see given the fact that it's one all. Has Santa Cruz now got Frampton's number, or would it still be up for grabs? That's very much up for grabs. Remember, the great thing about boxing, Andy, is you have two hands, but there's so many other variables that you can equalize a fight very quickly. All it takes is another one of those uppercuts he landed on Scott Quigg, and the fight will turn around. So Frampton has the tools to do it. I think he has to learn the lesson of don't be on the end of a tall man's jab. 
you know, but then that's easier said than done. I think one of the things I do want to say is, and I know boxing fans get really frustrated about fights not happening. Khan Brook is a prime example. Here are two men who have made each other millionaires, you know, and if they do that fight once more, financially they'll be okay for a while. And that's what boxing's about. Two men showing respect for each other, fighting like warriors in the ring, showing respect after the ring, and then counting the money. Because no fan is going to complain about the money they paid to watch this fight. And that's what boxing is at the top level. It's men realizing, and women now. Sorry, I don't want to be, you know, sexist. We're in a different climate now. But boxers in general, male and female, realizing you need these meaningful fights, these seminal fights to make that money. And when you when you have those seminal fights, the fans will pay money. What you want is you want these memorable fights because you know fans are happy to pay for them and boxers are happy to see the rewards from those fights. Yeah, I think as much you know, saying earlier about um, Frampton didn't have that zap about him. His defense is incredible. I loved watching that last night. That his footwork out of range from Santa Cruz. Yes, he was eating punches as he was coming in, but actually the time that Santa Cruz came forward. Santa Cruz was happy to sit on the back foot and pick Frampton off as he came in. By the time Santa Cruz came forward, that footwork of Frampton just on the retreat quickly, going off at angles, and even when he was you know, stuck on the ropes, the bobbing and weaving that he was doing there was just brilliant. Like, such a, it was a joy to watch that fight. Most talented British boxer out there. Um, as a technician, every punch in the book, footwork is pretty solid. Defensively, more than sound. In fact, he's probably an example to many people of how to defend. Um, but although we'll come on to that in the next fight that we discuss as well. It's good to see Frampton. I don't think Frampton loses anything from this fight because boxing logic would dictate that if both men were at their best, Santa Cruz would win eight times out of ten simply because he's a taller man and he's a very busy tall man. So Carl's done well. And if he were to win the third one, you know that would elevate him even more. How do you both see the third fight going where I, I realise it's early days but off the cuff what would, how would you see the third fight going uh, based upon last night and the first fight I think it would be difficult to pick against Santa Cruz but it depends what Carl would change going into it it's a pick and fight as well you know the scores were well, there's two rounds in it and so if, you know the judges have picked around you know the opposite way they've ended up a draw uh, one of the scorecards was a draw. I think the others were one fifteen, one thirteen. Um, so you know, a, a round either way would have changed it completely. Same as the first fight. So it's just so close. You you struggle to definitively say one way or the other. But based on the average of the two fights, and you know, if you, I think Frampton was probably he was probably at his best in the first fight, whereas Santa Cruz definitely wasn't at his best, and then Santa Cruz showed a different style last night so it's yeah. one that we're not used to seeing from him uh, if we saw that again in the third you'd have to you'd have to favour him for it I think sounds like you'd be more or less of the same opinion Terry mm, so I think there are ways to get at Santa Cruz people have got at Santa Cruz before um, if it was me I'd, I'd almost write off the first two rounds and I'd, if I was in Frampton's corner I'd say hit anything Forget the head for the first two rounds. Hit anything. Give him a dead arm. Get him on the forearms. Get him on the ribs. Maybe a couple on the hip. Get him feeling uncomfortable for those first couple of rounds until he starts to panic. Because if you if you can ratchet the pressure up 
enough, the tactics go out the window. I think Santa Cruz had such an easy first couple of rounds that he built up his rhythm. So he was able to box at a rhythm he was happy with, leaving Carl to chase the fight. I think if Carl comes out with a degree more aggression and really starts to batter the torso, the arms of Santa Cruz for the first couple of rounds, he'll bring it down to a to a brawl. You know, He'll bring out the machismo in Santa Cruz and then we'll get the fight that we'd like to have as our rubber match. Okay, also during the night we had Mike Garcia fighting De- Dejan Zlatikhanin. Uh, did you both see this fight, Terry? Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I think everyone has heard me talk about the importance of fundamentals. Uh, in the Jack DeGale fight, we saw another man who has 10 out of 10 fundamentals. If you, for those who did watch the Garcia fight, which he won by basically knocking out Dejan Zlatikhanin, as we'll keep calling him. Forget what Adam Smith wants to say about Zlatichanin. I am not from Montenegro, so that's of no relevance to me. Um, Zlatikhanin was tailor-made for Garcia. So let's not go overboard in the praise for Garcia, because Zlatikhanin is a guy who needs to come forward to unleash his bombs. Perfect for Garcia. But what was beautiful was watching how Mikey Garcia took pretty much a handful not 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 a massive box of tricks a handful of brilliant fundamentals and destroyed Zlatikhanin essentially he just stuck to the rule book you're boxing a southpaw just circle to your left and nullify what they're doing that's all that's all he had to do and he kept doing it he'd slide back work use the jab to control the space keep his hands up under pressure you know, use the ropes as a friend when he needed to, knew when to stay off the ropes when he needed to. All all things that aren't flashy, it's not James Tony, it's not Roy Jones, it's solid fundamental boxing. But the knockout when it came, wow. <laughs> um everyone knows I'm a big fan of the right uppercut. I think the right uppercut is a fight changing punch. Mikey Garcia now has proved the right uppercut is a fight changing punch. And that transition to to throw the uppercut, completely wrong foot Zlatikhanin, and then basically take his head off, um, shows two things. One, Garcia can box, and number two, my goodness, the guy can crack at that weight. So, super excited about where he goes next. Um, you know, there, there are tests everywhere for him, and it looks like, you know, maybe another couple more fights to shake off any rust that there is, and Garcia's a factor again. Mine? Yeah, I mean, um, I'd suspect that Zlatikhanin was probably knocked out after the uppercut, um, but he was still on his feet and kind of turning a bit. Garcia steps in with a left hand and then just a clean right, like unprotected right hand, just lays him out. Zlatikhanin's like on his back, um, like not moving. It was quite scary actually for a little while. You're kind of thinking, well, I hope he, uh, I hope he's going to get up from this. Um, and he did, you know, five minutes later or so, he was up and uh, up and moving about. But Garcia, I mean, his career is just mad, isn't it? Really, he's um, I was looking up earlier. He's 29 years old. He's now 36 and 0 with 30 knockouts, three <laughs> weight world champion. Um, but he has these massive periods of time off, like just crazy periods of time. So he had a period from he boxed in January 2014. And then didn't box again um, after that until July 2016. 
So, like, <laughs> the best part of two and a half years out, and then comes back, um, box July last year, and then boxes last night. So, you've got to hope that you see more consistency out of him. He like long, long periods of layoff that just. I'm amazed that he can still come back and fight at that level, given how long he takes out of the ring. Um, you know, in that lightweight division. You, that was for the WBC kind of regular title essentially because they're using the diamond one for Jorge Linares, Anthony Crawler. If Anthony Crawler comes through that Linares fight, I can see at that point, like given that um, Garcia would presumably then be the kind of mandatory for the the diamond belt for the WBC. I can't see any way that Eddie Hearn wants to put Anthony Crawler in there with him. I suspect you're going to get. Um, uh, at that point, Eddie Hearn will probably look towards making that Terry Flanagan fight and like making, you know, it's time to cash out and make the the All Manchester fight because I can't see anyone wants to uh, to go and take that risk with Garcia because you know he he looked so good, so good. Um, Terry, unless you've got anything to add, we'll move on to Josh Taylor Olvera. Yeah, um, I think it's Alfonso Olvera. Um... It was a showcase fight. It was an eight-rounder. Vegas, give Josh Taylor an opportunity to box in Vegas. You know, one of the things you can tick off your bucket list. Um, in Alfonso Olvera, um, I might be wrong, but that might have been an opponent switch because it looked like Taylor hadn't prepared for that guy. He he wasn't the most orthodox of guys. Um, but one thing that did surprise me was Taylor wasn't really using the jab. It was almost like he just he was on a seek-and-destroy mission, which... You know, Olvera looked, well, he appeared to be tougher than he was. And ultimately, you know, it was an eight-round decision. I don't think Taylor's reputation is harmed by that. I think the rounds will do him good. And I think being in there with guys who aren't going to fall over is good for him at this stage of his career. Let's not forget that's his eighth fight. And now, you know, I think he needs to focus on the British scene again. You know, let, let's get these Tyrone Nurse fights, these Jack Cattrall fights. Let's get those done. And then obviously the big one towards the end of the year with O'Hara Davis. Mine, did you see the fight? Yeah, um, it's a bit of a novelty fight, really, I suppose, for him going over to Vegas. It can't have been ideal because Shane McGuigan's going to clearly be um, focusing his time upon Carl Frampton and preparing him for his fight. So you kind of suspect Josh Taylor didn't get the best of Shane McGuigan in the build up to that fight. Um, you know, he easily won the fight. It just it didn't have the same pizzazz about it of when he took out Dave Ryan so easily. Um, but you know, you give him a pass on that. It's you know, it's a fight over in Vegas. It builds his, um, you know, his experience, and you know, hopefully one day he'll be over there fighting in the big fights himself. And now he's got a taste of it. So that's ultimately why he gets taken over for these kind of things. So another story that came out of uh, this evening of boxing. Lee Selby's fight against Jonathan Barros cancelled after the Nevada Sports and Athletics Commission found that he had tested positive. Is that right? Is that the right phrase to had. use? Has um, hep- yeah. um, hepatitis, but we don't know which version of hepatitis. I'm not sure if it's confirmed or not about the hepatitis thing. It's certainly strongly rumoured, oh. if not confirmed. Um, uh, so what, was it officially cancelled under just unfit to box or something the way they announced it was that he just he'd failed um, the medical I think or something along those lines but um, yeah, I don't think they've actually confirmed it's hepatitis but there's a very strong story going around that it is hepatitis um, so you know brilliant that they've caught it I'm, 
I've no idea what the rules of the Nevada State and Athletic Commission are, but why you catch it 24 hours before you're due to fight and not, you know, part of a ongoing... I don't know where this guy trains and what have you, so whatever his state commission is, why they're not blood testing at some point, you know, prior to 24 hours before the fight, I'm a little bit amused by it, really. Unless you caught it in Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) Some dirty trollop. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) The previous night. Um... Yeah, but you know, you got a feel for Lee Selby, really. You got a feel for the Sanagars, because they had Lee Haskins go over to uh, to Vegas when he was meant to be fighting Randy Caballero. And Caballero didn't make the weight, and Lee Haskins walked off with the belt. You know, Selby didn't get anything out of last night at all, or anything out of the experience of the training camp, or anything at all. So, you know, you, you hope Oliveira is um, well, and you know, you hope the, the hepatitis. Jonathan Barros. Isn't it? Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, what am I about? Oh, fair, that was uh, Josh Taylor. Um, yeah, you hope Barros is well and okay, and, you know, the, the hepatitis doesn't affect him in life. You just, for me, I wonder why it comes down to being the day before that these things get discovered and, and found out. Yeah, frankly, if it is hepatitis, it just depends on what version of it is that means hepatitis B is a bit more treatable than hepatitis C. Not that this is a medical podcast. Terry? But I think, I think, but I think the general rule on it is any kind of blood disorder and the fight's off. For yeah, no other reason that if you've got two guys who are cut, you can't run the risk of fluids exchanging in those clinches. I'm such a child. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> but, but but it's good. And, and, and for the people who, who, who are naysayers about boxing, you know, how many rugby players, how many football players are running Strange around fluids. with all kinds oh. of illnesses in them? Okay, also taking place last night, we had Mura versus Miguel Roman and Vargas versus Burchett. Burchelt, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, so this is exclusively a Terry Saw kind of deal. So, what did you make of him, Terry? And what, did well, it, what implications so, so, did it have I'll, for the world of boxing? So, I watched all of the Mura fight, caught the highlights of the Vargas fight. So just by way of context, both guys are at super featherweight. So Mura and Vargas fought each other before, and I think Vargas beat Mura for the belt. Um, I think they're trying to rebuild this for a rematch. Uh, Burchelt, I'm tempted to say he fought George Jupp, or he fought someone like that a while ago. But essentially, two guys just with, with almost proved themselves fights ahead of a potential rematch for the WBC belt. Uh, Mura wins by stoppage in the 12th round. Just, you know, dropped the opponent with some vicious punches. There's a horrendous body shot in there as well. Um, you know, and for all his technical limitations, I like Mura. Mura is a guy who who shows up to fight. And if, Fra- if Carl Frampton were to move up, that would be quite a good fight for Frampton, I think, because Mura comes to fight. There'll be no sliding on the back foot and working off a jab. I'll tell you who else Mura would be good for. Gravonte Davis as well. Because they're both southpaws and they both have this style where they commit everything into the hooks. So they really rotate into those hooks. And, you know, in terms of just a spectacle of power punching, that would be a good fight. You know, Vargas seems to be on a trajectory for either the Mura rematch or a unification with Lomachenko. Based on what I saw, he might want to swerve Lomachenko for a little bit. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe have a few rounds with someone like a Tevin Farmer or a Jason Sosa. But, but if you can get the fights on YouTube, two 
really good fights, all action. And um, I'm sure we all agree, this has been a hell of a month for boxing. Like, if you're a boxing fan, you're wondering if anything's going to top January 2017 for in terms of just sheer quality of fights. And if you're not a boxing fan, well done for listening to this podcast. Yeah, stick him with it. Well done. Just, uh, <laughs> get a medal. Um, if you are okay. a boxing fan, well done for sticking <laughs> <laughs> with this Thank podcast. you, quite frankly, yeah. Um, now, a good question from me. Um, is it true that... No, you have to submit it, mate, in advance. Oh, so. okay. I'll, yeah, sorry. Um, is it true that there is, there is um, a method of thinking that two southpaws in a fight makes for a bad fight? Yes. Um, the logic behind it is southpaws aren't really used to fighting each other. Well, well, I'll rephrase that. It used to be the accepted wisdom. So southpaws will train to fight orthodox fighters. And a lot of southpaws in the old days were back foot counter punches. So when you had two southpaws, you often had two back foot counter punches, which makes for a rubbish fight anyway. Southpaw orthodox. What's happened, and if I'm being honest with you, I don't know who you give more credit to. Pernell Whitaker, um, you know, gold medalist in 1984, multiple weight world champion, one of the greatest defensive boxers of all time. He might be responsible for a rise in southpaws. But beyond doubt, the Manny Pacquiao really changed how Southpaw's box. He was the first Southpaw I can think of at a really high level who boxed like an orthodox fighter. So he threw orthodox combinations from the Southpaw stance, which confused everyone because boxing wisdom says that shouldn't be done. So obviously Manny Pacquiao box, we now have a lot more Southpaw's boxing. So I think it's less of an issue now. Let's not forget... Um, the Pedraza Davis fight was two southpaws fighting each other and that wasn't half bad at all so I think we're changing now where fighters are more comfortable boxing southpaws southpaws are more comfortable boxing southpaws boxers are more comfortable switching so we're getting to a point where it's all very fluid and the good boxers will adapt okay let's get a few questions here before we uh, come to Eubank versus Quinlan and the re- uh, previews of David Price and Christian Hammer. Um, but just as a size, we'll, we'll do a few questions first. Chris on Twitter asks, do you think Eddie will get away with his model for much longer, or do you think he will be forced to make fights that we want to see? Um, who wants to take that one? Martin? Uh, I think it will depend on what everybody else does rather than what Eddie does. Um, so if ITV start coming in with strong mm. cards, if uh, BT Sport do, which, I mean, whether or not we're going to discuss the Frank Warren announcements from during the week, but it's fair to say that there hasn't been a significant leap in uh, in the standard and quality that they're going to be putting on with this new BT deal, or if there is, they're certainly playing it close, close to their chest at present, um, at the moment, there isn't there isn't a reason for Eddie to up his game. Uh, there's nothing um, out there that significantly is pushing him on. Uh, we'll see. I mean, he he promised last year that his plan was to make all of the Saturday night fight nights uh, world championship bouts, which we started to see with Tony Bellew um, and Ricky Burns. And so that'll be interesting if he keeps that up through the year. Then. The undercards will, you know, take a bit of a hit. Um, but, you know, looking forward, we've got Crollinares coming up, which is a uh, a standard Sky card. We've got uh, Ricky Byrne versus Zilungu, um, which is a standard Sky card. 
So he's kind of keeping to that promise a little bit. What the standard of the undercard will be is up for debate. But ultimately, why does he have to make a decent undercard? If he's making that world title fight, that's more than what the competitors are doing anyway. BT Sport aren't making world title fights other than another letdown of a, a Terry Flanagan fight. I know it's his mandatory, but it's not one that everybody wants to see. Um, but when you keep in active world champions and you get a backlog of mandatories, that's just how it goes. Um, so are we going to see Eddie you know, increase that um, that standard? It depends if everybody else does would be my, my answer. Maybe we'll get like some sort of weird... What do they call them? Where a load of people, like a load of gangsters, control one specific. <laughs> what what a cartel! A cartel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's Although, for, as for, much for the record, boxing as possible. Just for the record, though, the the Flanagan Petrov fight is not a give me fight at all. I I wouldn't be surprised if you see Flanagan under pressure in this fight. Um, I saw Petrov's last fight, and I can't remember who it was against. And I think I said this in a previous podcast. He has a really weird shape when he boxes. It's almost like a turtle. Like he 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 has a way of just using his back as a massive shell, but he can really hit. So we'll see what Flanagan's able to do. I don't think it's a gimme fight at all. And and one of the problems we're having is I think all of these fights we wanted to happen are either going to become irrelevant or it just will never happen. You know, I'm a big believer that Khan Brook either won't happen or it will happen when these guys are like 37. Yeah, yeah, just as an example. I mean, it's not to say that the, you know, as I said, the Flanagan fight isn't an easy fight necessarily. It's just not a fight that anybody's gagging to see. Um, but again, that comes down to when you faff about with your mandatories that much, then you're going to get a backlog. So I think he's got two now back to back that he's meant to be having. Um, which it's just, you know, they're not exciting fights. They might turn into exciting fights, but they don't have that same build up, that same pizzazz as a Jorge Linares fight, for instance, that Crawler's getting. Um, you know, if you've got Mikey Garcia after he's been exposed on Sky last night, like actually, if somebody now said, you know, Terry Flanagan's going to take him on, that's an exciting fight. Now, the Petrov one, people aren't going to be buzzing about in advance. Okay, a question from David McGinley. He asks, did Shane McGuigan freeze? Frampton seemed confused and didn't get uh, the direction from his corner. Obviously, in reference no, to the Frampton no, Cruise fight. No, 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 no. How, how, you know, David, shame on you. Um, listen to listen to what Shane was saying. Sh- Shane was right. The problem actually is that, really, when when both men are on their game, like Santa Cruz is just he's too big and he's too active with his jab. So you have to work so hard to get in, and by the time you've spent all that effort, then Santa Cruz just switches to a body attack, and then you're like, right, I have to adjust again. So you're always having to adjust. So the advice you're given from corner to corner is great, but what's happening in the ring changes every 30 seconds. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, I know what I was told to do, but I have to adapt to what's in front of me. Um, so I think Shane did the best that he could. So we just need to give Santa Cruz credit. He he made the right changes, and he really showed up last night. Okay, Sam Khan asks, Cruz didn't seem enthused by number three. Uh, I'm assuming this is round number three. So where does Frampton go? No, oh, fight, by, number by the fight number three. Okay, yeah, so where does Frampton go from here? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, Santa Cruz. You've got Lee Selby, who's always going to be out there at featherweight, that they can bring in. I think we'll see fight number three. I think um, 
the amount of mutual respect between the two, I don't know if anybody caught the press conference, it was a brilliant quote by Frampton saying, you know, let's have the third one over in Belfast, we've done two in America now. He was saying, you know, um, Leo and his family can come and stay in my house if they want. Like, I like Leo, he's a nice bloke. <laughs> come and stay at the Frampton household, and then we'll fight, and then uh, we'll all go home together. Um, I think it will happen. Whether it happens next, I think maybe they need a break from each other now. Uh, and maybe come back together in a year or two. Uh, so I think maybe the Lee Selby fight, because <sighs> Lee Selby is floating into irrelevance a little bit, not through his, his own fault after last night, but... He needs something now, and maybe coming back and doing a bit of a big domestic showdown um, would suit them both quite well. Um, and it's a, fight, it's a fight you can make easily. They're both yeah. Heyman guys. So yeah. the fight can happen easily. It can happen in Belfast, so Frampton can get that homecoming. And both men will walk away wealthy men from that fight. Uh, just on that, though, No Hype asks, if we do skip Frampton Cruise 3, what are the best matches to be made at Featherweight? Um... um are we keeping Rigondeaux out? So are we assuming Rigondeaux doesn't move up? Because that would change a lot of things. I think everyone would just leave the division, if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> Run to Lomachenko instead. <laughs> it's, it's a rock and a hard place then, isn't it? It'll force the issue. So let's not forget, you've got guys like Gary Russell Jr. floating around. So they're exciting guys who don't have belts out there. Abnamaras is calling out Lee Selby. That looks like it might happen as well. You know, I know Morris has probably seen better days, but he's still a formidable foe. Um, UK-wise, let's not forget, Warrington's floating around now, and hopefully a bit more receptive floating, for a domestic showdown. sinking. Marco McCulloch's a terrible fight for him. Uh, <laughs> that, that's an awful fight. Like You can't sugarcoat that at all. That is just well, such a... You know, Marco McCulloch, who lost the Commonwealth title fight to Isaac Lowe, the Commonwealth belt that Josh Warrington gave up however long ago to go on and fight for bigger and better things. He's fighting a man who lost for it. Like, it's such a poor fight. McCulloch is nothing special at all. I, I don't get that move whatsoever. Um, sorry, I have a bit of a rant on a, on a side note. <laughs> well, we haven't had one yet, so... <laughs> so fantastic. But yeah. I'd also be intrigued. I wonder if Isaac Dogbo would move up as well. But, you know, that's just pure speculation because... He'd be a very interesting candidate at 126. I don't think it would harm him to move up. But you have, yeah, I, I'm genuinely like, I think 126. There, are, there are a lot of good fights that can happen. You know, like, is Magdalena still 126 as well? There's just a lot of good fights you can have, and we well, I mean we should all be excited. You know, as long as these fights keep getting made, 2017 might be the best year in boxing we've had. Okay, so before we go any further on, Martin's been called away for... A bit of a family emergency <laughs> at home. Uh, kid's not well, so I'm going so to I'll, leave you to it. So I'll just leave you with this... Uh, Martin does a lot for this podcast, um, and I'll just leave you with a little bit of a gem that he obviously did for us uh, this week <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> this was following on from last week, querying about Kel. At Spanish Police. In 2014, our world champ, Kel Brook, got stabbed in Tenerife. Ever found out who did it and why? All gone quiet over here, oddly. I never got a response. <laughs> never got a response from him. Did, did they block you? I don't know. I'm going to retweet him this week. So look, you know, pressure's getting on me. I've yeah. got to know. Kel's, Kel's getting on my back, so to speak. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and I need to know details. Can you imagine? There wouldn't be very good police, though, like, oh, shut up, and just blocked you, would they? <laughs> <laughs> it's the Herm police. 
Okay, right, get right. off then, and we'll yeah. see you next Take week. Take care, gents. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, mate. <laughs> One man down, but not out. We continue. I will therefore le- move on to our previews for next week, and then we'll end up with a few questions. And I tell you what, Terry, I think you've just about avoided any arguing arguables this week. <laughs> as soon as you hate them so I mean, much. There's dancing in the streets, my friend. There's dancing in the streets. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> so no hype asks as we go on to our Eubank Quinlan preview. Eubank Junior wants Ward at 175. How long before Eubank Senior is arrested for child abuse? <laughs> Um, I don't know if you can abuse a 20-something year old man (laughs) we'll ask several but um, broadly speaking look let Eubank Jr. deal with what he has to deal with at 160 and let him prove himself just at one weight class I don't care what weight class it is let him prove himself first and then start calling out you know the the elite level fighters because at the moment his career is moonwalking at a rate of knots towards oblivion and I, I, I think the kid's talented. I think he's, I think he's, he's the most bankable talent we have in this country. I know people say AJ, but long term, I think Eubank Jr. is far more bankable. And commercially, he's the guy that you want to see. Whether you like him or dislike him, you know, you'll pay to see him. And, you know, he, these are the years he needs these defining fights. And I think they're all passing him by. So let's, hopefully the 4th of Feb will be the start of something good for him. Yep, fair one. Um, so let's move on to Eubank Quinlan then. Uh, how do you see this going? Um, I think it's a it's a showcase fight. I expect Eubank Junior to win. I expect Eubank Junior to look good doing so. He's you know his normal vicious merciless best, and and then I expect him to move back down to one sixty to to cause more havoc there. Maybe fight someone like a Martin Murray. To, to get that momentum and then we'll see if he really wants the Golovkin fight you know that by the end of this year we'll know how serious he is we've on that fight on that evening we have David Price versus Christian Hammer um, this is a reasonable a reasonable fight for an undercard uh, is, is it not well for David Price it's probably the best opponent he's fought and I know people will say Tony Thompson but Thompson was kind of over the hill at that point Christian Hammer is still a live opponent, he's not 30 yet the only issue is he's not the biggest of men so you do wonder how far he can go, but he has beaten Erkan Tepper who knocked out David Price you know um, but if you look at, I mean who's he really fought, like Hammer's fought guys like Michael Sprott and he fought a washed up Michael Sprott in the middle of nowhere I'm thinking it was Romania or somewhere you know, but he got smashed to pieces by Tyson Fury. Um, he's, he's he's beaten all the people you'd want him to beat, the Kevin Johnsons of this world. He's beaten those sorts of people, but he hasn't actually beaten an elite-level fighter. So I put Christian Hammer in that sort of semi-gatekeeper mode, where you look at him and you think, if you can beat Christian Hammer, it means you can fight for a European title. And then you'd want Price to be fighting someone like Robert Hellenius next. And then you'd probably speculate he's ready for a world title at that point there. So is it possible that David Price has got room to improve and, uh, you know, possibly be a threat at the top of the division one day? 
Price is 34 now. I think him and Bell, you were the same age. And you realize at that age, there's only so much headroom you have. David Price now will be the fighter that he'll be forever. So he'll be a guy who will have a big right hand, relatively immobile, but big and strong. Now, whether he can add a jab to that, you know, we don't know yet. We haven't seen him throw a menacing jab probably ever. So I, I'd speculate we have the price that we will always have and he'll carry that right hand threat, but you don't imagine he's a guy who could go a whole fight without getting hit. So at some point he is going to get hit and it's about how he copes with that. Also on the card, Adam Etches versus John Ryder. How does this one panning out? Um, so Adam Etches is based out of Sheffield. I never know if he was trained with the Ingles, but you know, good enough fighter is very much off the radar because he's never really had the super promoter backing. So he's never been on a Sky Show, or maybe actually maybe he has been on a Sky Show, but he's never had the matchroom seal of approval. So he's kind of fought off the grid and he hasn't really got a record where you think wow here's a guy who who's something special you know he fought Kamitsky I remember that's the one that impressed me actually because he fought a very good Kamitsky and the defensive masterclass Kamitsky put on you know every defensive element was showcased and then you realise Adam Etch is, is at a certain level I think He's a decent enough opponent for John Ryder, who is also in the last chance saloon for the 17th time in his career. And you, know, you look at John Ryder's record and you think, okay, you fought Billy Joe Saunders, where actually I, I, I like John Ryder, but he didn't show up for that fight till round eight, which was a shame. And you always thought that he had, he had something about him, but then he lost to Jack Arnfield, which told you what level Ryder is. So I think Ryder will always be a good, solid domestic level fighter. Etches is a good, solid domestic level fighter. It will be a good, solid domestic level fight. Um, we have Andrew Selby versus Aaron Dial. Well, so Selby in his eighth fight is is fighting Dial for. Is it the IBF International title? Um, or the WBC? So, <sighs> Selby's too good for these guys. Yeah, you could almost put Selby in a world title fight now, but my impression is, you know, yeah, you put him in with someone like Dial, an old grizzled veteran who, who, I mean, hopefully take him a good few rounds. I don't think Selby's a, is a knockout artist at the weight. So, Selby, it'll be a bit of a, a boxing clinic from Selby. And, you know, this is just a stepping stone towards maybe challenging for the WBC belt. Um, don't know much about Dial. Think he's Filipino. But, you know, my, my memory is not the best. He's, I don't know, man. He, he'll be an okay test. I just don't think he's at that level. He's got a couple of defeats on his record. So I don't think he's on Selby's level. I think Selby boxes on another level. He, he's almost like Frampton in the sense that, He's not a typical British boxer. He he has a few bells and whistles to his arsenal, which make him different, but also make him effective. Okay, let's crack on with some more questions. Well, let, let's not forget the rest of the card. Um, you know, Kid Galahad, 
another guy who might be a factor at 126, but definitely, you know, class at 122, you know, absolute, this is absolute class. So I think his fight will be at featherweight on this card, and he is an opponent for any one of our featherweights at the moment. You know, I think Galahad's the most skillful of all of them. Whether he's got the power at that weight, don't know. So he fights Joseph Agbeko, a tough Ghanaian fighter. Shouts out to JFB Sports. They know all about this guy. So I think this will be one of, you know, out of the Mickey Moose situation. And, you know, we all know about the kids from Bukom in Ghana. So this will be a tough fight. But it'll be good for Galahad Luna. We'll find out if he really is elite level. Um, Chris Congo. I have to shout out Chris Congo. XGB. Uh, box for GB at 69 kilos. You know, boxes out of Miguel's now. Signed to Tommy Dove. He gets a big TV, you know, showcase. Now, for, for everyone listening, just watch the guy. I'm very composed, very patient. Already looks like a seasoned pro after a couple of fights. So, He's a good guy to look at because you're hoping that he will go on to achieve the things we thought Larry Ekendaya would. You know, big shouts out to Larry. But Larry's had an unfortunate career of not having the promotional backing. And we're hoping that, you know, Chris Congo gets his opportunity. Um, the last thing I have to do is shout out Jordan Dennis. Um, his second fight will be on the ITV card. Looked promising in his debut I know Martin is quite high on him and it's a shame we haven't got Martin here to to share more on him but you know from everything I hear from people in the trade bright future ahead for this kid so don't sleep on this undercard like I know everyone's complaining about it but once you put your money down watch every fight in this undercard man from Jordan Gill all the way to Chris Eubank Jr. Um, actually just a side one um, it's happening in Belfast but I just wanted to shout out good friend of mine, Lynn Harvey. So she'll be boxing. Uh, it's her third fight. One win, one loss. You know, she's learning on the job. You know, it's, it's impressive the way she's been working. I know she's been inspiring some of the Irish amateur ladies, but big shout out to Lynn Harvey. You know, he's definitely waving the flag for women's boxing out there. Good stuff as always, Terry. Um, okay, so we've got questions. One, James Sunderland asks, can a promoter influence whether you spar with someone? E.g. Shane Singleton fighting Skeet. In my opinion, Nurse would seem the ideal sparring partner for Singleton, but Nurse and Skeet are signed to Frank Warren. Would Warren allow this? And would you know would the promoter allow it? Yeah. Um, sparring in general is pretty political. So if we just work up the levels. In the amateur scene, you know, there's certain guys who won't spar with certain guys. If you know a tournament's coming up, you won't put your guy in against another guy, which has baffled me because I genuinely think, you know, the fighter I have today will not be the fighter I, I send out tomorrow. You know, sparring is all about learning and it's about how you react to those situations and how you develop. So as a statement of principle, I think everyone should spar everyone. But you get protective because if I'm promoting... So, for example, if I am promoting Bradley Ski, I need him to win. I'm not going to do anything or support anything that gives my my adversary or my rival an advantage. So, I think the sparring with Nurse would be politically hard to achieve, and quite rightly too. Like, you know, you don't want you don't want Singleton getting good and suddenly you know Bradley Ski's lost the fight because then you know you have to explain how this was allowed to happen. And you get you get similar situations. So you can have boxers. Who, 
who will spar with James DeGale without being affiliated to him. But then we'll also want to spar George Groves as well. And there's always a bit of tension around, are you sharing secrets? You know, you know, just, just for fans to understand, you know, if you think arranging the fights is tricky, getting the sparring is even more tricky. And you'll be surprised at how little sparring happens between fighters who live within two square miles of each other. They just won't spar each other. And that's one of the reasons the standard of UK boxing never rises, because there's not enough sparring. But that's something I guess the boxing business has to get its head around and resolve. Monsterpiece asks, who should Mickey fight next? I'm assuming you know who Mickey is. Um, well, first of all, big shout out to Monsterpiece. So Monsterpiece is one of the producers on another podcast called The Boxing Voice. Um, uh-huh. you know, Hello, I've slowly tried to, to bring her around to our way of thinking. Um, lovely lady, really knows her boxing, really passionate about it. So, you know, always welcome as far as I'm concerned. I think if you're going to have a fight, you'd want Garcia to fight the winner of Crawler Linares. I think both are beatable. It's a nice and easy fight. You could fight Ranthes Bartholomew as well. Um, slightly trickier fight. I think he's more of a technician than either Linares or Crawler. Um, Garcia could fight the winner of Flanagan Petrov to get a belt. You know, he could fight. I don't know if Mickey Bay is still floating around, but Mickey Bay is a name that he could have. But if you're asking me, I would quite like to see him fight some of these young guys before he goes after the, the other guys. Just fight some of these young guys, a Felix Verdejo or Miguel Vasquez, you know, those sorts of guys. I'd quite like to just, just let them keep getting the, you know, getting acclimatized before Linares. Although for the record, I do think he'd beat Linares if there was a fight tomorrow. Okay, so we have a couple of questions left. Um, Sam Khan. Frampton lost. What colour crayons do you think Quick is celebrating with? Um, I'd imagine, you know, he's probably got the Crayola 72 crayon box. You know, <laughs> you, you've got to have different shades of orange. I, you know, whatever you say about him, he is very conscious about the colours that he likes to use. So I imagine he's, he's, got, he's got that well and truly locked down. But in all seriousness... In terms of Quig, I don't think Frampton's Quig's business anytime soon. Like Frampton needs, um, Scott Quig needs to give us a big dominant win. So he'd need to take out someone like a Kid Galahad decisively or a Josh Warrington. They're the fights he should be campaigning for. To he make has no business a relevant opponent to Frampton again, yeah? Exactly. You know, give us a yardstick opponent where we can look and go, okay, you're back at the top table again. You know, if Quig fought Gary Russell Jr. and beat him, then I'd be calling for the rematch between Quig and Frampton. She also asks, Sam Khan, um, re- she wants a response to, I don't know if you saw it, it got tweeted to you, but uh, Telegraph <clears throat> um, had a published a top 15 UK pound-for-pound pound fighters list. Um, how should how should pound-for-pound pound be decided because this list looks stupid. Now, um, the top few—I I haven't actually got—I haven't actually got the link. But um, that top fifteen pound for pound fighter list, how should that be decided? Is her question. Um, first, big shout out to Sam Khan, a good friend and a good friend of the podcast, one of the bravest people I know. Um, 
look, pound for pound is basically a list of who your favourite boxer is. I don't give a monkey's what anyone says about, well, if they're all the same weight, this would be the best boxer. It's not. It's about who you think the best boxer is. And we, 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 we shrouded in all of this nonsense and bullshit. And the truth is, it's about who you like. So there's no objective way you can, you can quantify who you like. There are guys like Mayweather whose achievements are greater than anyone else's. And it's not even that he's pound for pound number one. He's just the greatest boxer for effing stop. Now, Mayweather retires. You've got Pacquiao. Is Pacquiao... Is he the best boxer out there? No. Is he the greatest boxer out there right now? Yes, based on his record. Guys like Cotto. Guys like Andre Ward. So they, they aren't, for me, guys like Cotto and Pacquiao aren't high on my pound for pound list. Because I don't think they can beat the best in their division. But the best in their division don't have the defining fights that would put them on a pound-for-pound list, which which renders it all irrelevant, really. Because what we're really saying is we're separating who's great from who's best. And Manny Pacquiao could be 45 and boxing. He's still a boxing great. He's just not very good. And it's the same thing with Miguel Cotto. And I think it feeds into... Because Cotto will be fighting Kirkland in about three weeks or so. And this feeds into that whole sentiment around when do we let our heroes in the sport do what they want? So I, I don't mind Miguel Cotto fighting James Kirkland because, you know, the Cotto we have now isn't the Cotto of five years ago. That's how life works. So Cotto just needs entertaining fights that will pay him well and won't leave him a vegetable in his 50s. So in, in summary all this pound for pound stuff just bin it ignore it just write down a list of who your favourite boxers are chances are it will be based on skill it will be based on who they've beaten and you know what I mean it will just end whether you like their style or not that's what it will boil down to it's just a game of opinions okay that indeed brings us to the extent of our questions this week um, if you haven't had your question answered please get in touch and alert us to this travesty uh, and we will get, and we'll make sure we fill it in next week. Uh, of course, that is if this podcast is even recorded. Uh, in which case, you'll be hearing it. Other, than, otherwise, I'll be just saying this into the ether. <laughs> the ether's where it belongs. Ah, before before anything else, um, let's just touch on on Frank Warren's announcement. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so Warren talks up this this massive press conference and announcement and so on and so forth, which is fantastic. Until it turns out it's simply just it was like a it was like a works Christmas party essentially. He got all his fighters up on stage, except for and just for the record, except for Lerone Richards, who quite possibly is the most talented fighter that he has. So <laughs> he gets all his fighters up on stage. Billy Joe Saunders stands up when the press asks questions and says to the media, "Listen, you got Lerone Richards sat down over there. No one's gone to talk to him." He's the best prospect we have in this country. And I guess it's shone some light on Lerone Richards. If you don't know who Lerone Richards is, boxing fans, get to know Lerone Richards. This is the guy who basically had Chris Eubank in his back pocket and sparring. Um, I think he's class. I think he goes all the way if he gets the right promotional backing. So get excited about him at Super Middleweight. Really, really nice man. Good guy. He's training out of iBox with Eddie Lamb and Al Smith. You know, so big shouts out to him and Daryl Williams, both at Super Mid. You know, get behind all of these guys. Um, but he has this massive announcement, and he just gives us nothing fights. 
you know, it was nice to see Nicola Adams get signed and everyone knows. Well, actually, they, they, we didn't, we didn't release the podcast where I went on a massive rant on how Nicola Adams deserves to be treated better than she has been. So it's good for her to be signed. Deep down, we know it's a cynical move by Frank Warren so he can match what Matchroom have with Katie Taylor. But it's a platform for Nicola Adams nonetheless. If she can perform well, she can define her own destiny. I'm 110% behind her. Um, it was good to see Daniel Dubois up there as well. Good to see some of the, the newer signings up there. But the fights that were promised, they're, they're all good dust-ups and they're all good fights, but there's nothing that screams fantasy about them. So what, what we're now waiting for is what's going to happen to Huey Fury, number one. What's going to happen to Billy Joe Saunders, number two? Everyone's talking about Golovkin, but I can pretty much guarantee he's not fighting Golovkin next. We also want to know what's going to happen with Tyson Fury because he's part of this equation. There's no question in my mind about it. You'll expect to see Tyson Fury being more active and more vocal from April onwards. There are reasons why, I suspect. But he'll be more active, he'll be more vocal, and it'll be the same with Huey Fury as well. So Warren didn't blow us away. But I think let's give him let's give him three months with this BT deal to start producing fights we care about before uh, before we just turn the taps off on this guy for goodness sake. But that's my that's my rant and my shining light session over. It's okay, we didn't have much ranting today. Um, I will save it. Don't worry, it's coming. Yeah. Okay, indeed, I think we have reached the limits of our podcast today. So. Uh, it's been a bit of a uh, a patch-up job with me hanging after my birthday extravaganza. Uh, Martin obviously leaving us for family reasons halfway through the pod, and Terry not being here in the in person. But I think we've come, we, we managed to patch something together. So hopefully that fulfills your new age boxing fix for the week. Um, get in touch with questions at New Age Boxing UK at The Seven Walls and at New Age Podfather. Um, tweet, support, you know, get it out there. Get, and it, the more that so you... I have a target this year. And, oh, go on, go on, yeah. and people know this offends me that, that the Toe to Toe podcast gets 150,000 downloads a week. And I don't understand what the hell they're doing that's so much better than what we're doing. So even if we just get ourselves up to 1,500 to 2,000 regular listeners, guys, man, you've got to share this because... You're there talking to boxing people in pubs and they don't listen to this. So what do they know if they're not listening to what we're saying? What do they really know <laughs> apart from what they're being brainwashed? So the more people you get on this, the better conversations you're going to have with your mates or random people in the pubs because this this is not corporate. This is a source of truth. And you have people on here who are brave enough to let some of the information out that others won't let out. So by all means, man, get involved. Tell your friends. Big shout out to Gary Logan. Gary, I know you listen, so you only tell your friends too, and we'll tell our friends about your situation. And actually, congratulations to Gary on being head trainer at BXR, which is Anthony Joshua's new gym. Gary, first things first, you know you need me involved in that. You know, it's not a proper gym if I'm not involved. But yeah, tell your <laughs> friends, spread the word, spread the gossip. Um, you might have touched upon something there, too. You see, with the information being so rich and useful with this podcast, people might not want to spread it because they might want to walk into the pubs feeling a sense of superiority when it comes to 
you know, spreading that information. If they were to spread the podcast, maybe they think, you know, that's going to be undercutting what they're able to provide in terms of new, impressive information. See? No one's taking a girl to bed because they listen to our podcast. As much as I, as much as I blow our trumpet and stuff, this has not got anyone over the line, right? If it so, did, there were more than a hundred and fifty thousand downloads a week. I can assure you. Uh, exactly. Exactly. In fact, in fact, may, maybe you see now. Maybe if you did tell your your girlfriends or the women that you were attracted to to listen to this, I mean, then they'd realise maybe you're not so bad. <laughs> You know, once they hear us, they'll realize yeah, it's so bad. Yeah. So, you know, you know what I mean? it's, it's a win-win scenario. Like a, mo- a moral yardstick. Yeah. But, uh, by comparison, I am not. You that could large. bump into one of these guys. <laughs> yeah, look, you could end up with one of these. Um, okay, I guess that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening, as always, and I'll see you next week. And. goodbye from Martin as he's not here goodbye from me and goodbye from me guys take care thank you very much catch you all next week bye Santa Cruz. I, <laughs> I can't concentrate, Terry. He's really fucking big fat guys sucking each other off on fucking glory holes. Please keep this. Please keep this in the podcast. Just got this horrendous <laughs> fucking porn up. I don't just to show off the stand up. Yeah, he's like got a stand on the back of his phone case, and the best way to demonstrate that is by showing me geezers sucking off. <laughs> so hideous. What is that? Oh god. Oh. <laughs> a fucking conversation with look the, at the look. Oh my You've are you watched this before? No. I'm just flicking through. Oh. Right. Right, that's it, I promise. No more glory holes. Do I leave that in? <laughs> that's it, a miss. Ah. Right. 14.30. Glory hole. Digression. <laughs>